that's not a problem. Think a little while tonight, and I ask Stan to uh, lead that one song for a reason because we're going to talk tonight about God's family. The family as we know it is not the same today as it has been in pa- in the past. In the last several years, there has been so many changes in the family structure in America that the families as we know it, or the family as we know it today, is totally different than what it was when I was a child growing up. I was raised in a family of let me get this harness off. In a family of boys, no girls, and my dad had nine boys and no girls, so that kind of ran in the family. Uh, how my mother survived our childhood, I don't know, because I'm sure five boys, we drove her crazy. If I had to, I can do it without a, without a microphone, but for those of you that may be hard of hearing, that's not a good thing. So our life had to be pretty scheduled. And the good thing about it, I was blessed beyond measure to have the parents that I did. When we got up on Sunday morning, there was never a question, are we going to church today? Never asked, because we knew the answer. We had started, as I was telling someone out in, out on the doodah bench <laughs> before services, we had started on Saturday getting ready for church by making sure all of our shoes was polished and everything was cleaned up and ready to go. That was just our regular Saturday routine. We got up, we made our rooms, we helped back in the floor, helped Mother clean the house, and got our stuff ready for church tomorrow, then we could play. Before then, it didn't happen. But that was a blessing. I know a lot of you were not raised in the church. You became Christians later in your life, and that's good too. But the family structure that we had was one of the greatest blessings I could ever have. My mother was home every day when I got home from school. Now a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times she'd have fresh chocolate chip cookies that she'd made just for us. She didn't go to work till my youngest brother got to the first, first grade and then she started nursing school. Well, I'm exactly 10 years older than he is, so I was in the 10th grade when that happened. So we all lived. But the greatest thing that I experienced was a thing that Chris talked about this morning when he talked about children, when he gives them an example of how God is and he says, don't you want to be like God? And the child says, no, I want to be just like you. Those are the most frightening words you will ever hear because that is an awesome responsibility. That child or those children you're raising are going to be just like you. We're not like Paul. Paul said, be imitators of me even as I am of Christ. 
But as parents, we weren't quite that dedicated, and we didn't want our kids copying everything we did. Families are important to us. They're vital to our survival. But families, as time has gone on, have become more and more dysfunctional. They're out of whack as to what God intended for them to be. When God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and created the first family, even that family, to a certain degree, was dysfunctional. In its early beginning, they had a murder to deal with. So even the influence of God himself, sometimes people reject that and do their own thing, and that's what a lot of families do today. Most of you don't know, I was asked before because... Most of you are not aware with that little girl that came with me all the time. She's in DHS custody now, and they're at Southern Christian Home in Moralton because family was so dysfunctional, it was unsafe for them to be there. They have a hearing coming this Wednesday, and hopefully they're coming home after a year or a little over a year. But that shows, regardless of the influence or... What, we, what impact we try to have on our family. Families today are dysfunctional, and now more so than ever, because families are not close. When I was a kid, we'd come home every night. Dad would come home. we sit down. We ate supper together. Most families don't do that anymore. They're not that closeness of knowing what's going on and being drawn together by affection and for love with each other. We love families because of the association, the comfort, and the encouragement we get from within the families. But so many times today, it's not like that anymore. Families are torn apart. We don't feel like we belong. We're a part of something happy. When Paul was writing to Timothy... In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, he referred to his family. He said, your mother Lois and your grandmother Eunice, he says, keep doing what they taught you to do. That's what I call generational Christianity. They were passing it on. It's our hope in our families, especially in our younger families today, that we pass on the Christianity, the love for God, and the stories of Jesus that we know to our children so that they will know what they are. I heard a song on radio the other day that really impressed me. It was a song about a person telling what he had learned as a little boy. He said, as I heard it read to me, I saw the story of Daniel and the lion's den come to life. I was in the boat when Jesus walked on the water. I saw David slay the bear. I saw this and I saw that. You know where he saw that? The name of the song is From Mama's Rocking Chair. Again, generational Christianity, passing it on. 
that's so, so important. And that's what Paul was talking about when he talked to Timothy about the heritage that he had from his mother and his grandmother. They had passed on that to him. They were devout Jews who had been converted to Christianity, probably by Paul, about the same time Timothy was when Paul came to Lystra. But he knew him well, and he referred to Timothy as his own son in the faith. He'd become his mentor, his guide, his tutor. Timothy was a smart young man in his own right, and Paul knew that. What we have to be careful of when we get to this point is putting the focus on the right things. What we focus on is vitally important. I quote Winston Churchill a lot because he was one of my favorite leaders. He had a good mind on him. And he made this statement once. You make a living with what you get. You make a life with what you give. And the one thing we want to make sure that our Christian, our children have more than anything else is a gift of Jesus. We've got to understand that. Jesus had them. Now, a lot of times, you know, when I was a kid, I used to hear the expression, oh, these, these young people, they're the church of tomorrow. Well, these young people are the church of today, too. A lot of them are old enough to be Christians, and they're very much a part of the church in building the church. They'll be the leaders of the church in tomorrow. And unless we instill in them the knowledge of Jesus, and the love, understanding the love that God has when it, when it says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a big sacrifice. We talk about friends this morning in our Sunday morning class in the auditorium. And Jesus is the greatest friend you can ever have. Learn to depend on him. Bible says that greater love no one has but this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that for each one of us. And that's what's so important as we look at. Now what we do, the writers in the, in the New Testament compare our physical families to the spiritual family of God. And there's a definite analogy there. This song we just sang that, that called God's Family. You know, I'm real bad about, matter of fact, this morning I did that. Not singing, but just closing my eyes and listening to what that song is saying. There are so many great songs that tell so many wonderful things, and this song is one of those songs. We're part of a family that's been born again, part of the family whose love knows no end. For Jesus has saved us and made us his own. Now we're part of the family that's on its way home. Talk about belonging. That should make us feel so close to each other because that's a shared experience that we enjoy. When a brother meets sorrow, we all feel his grief. 
When he's passed through the valley, we all feel relief. Together in the sunshine, together in the rain, together in victory through his precious name. We go through everything together. Though some go before us, we'll all meet again just inside the city as we enter in. There'll be no more parting. With Jesus, we'll be together forever, God's family. Sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven, God's family. That's a wonderful thought. The idea that we're part of a family. I know for me, I look forward to Sundays. I look forward to being with all of you because I hope to spend eternity with you. I try to develop a bond, getting to know people and letting them get to know me. You know, I once made the statement that if God were to be more merciful than he ever promised to be and just let everybody go to heaven, regardless of what they did, that some of those people would be purely miserable because they don't know how to act in a family relationship. We compare our earthly family and our spiritual family the good thing about it is when we came into this family, we all had a fresh start. Our slate was clean. Jesus wiped it clean with his blood. He said, many of you has been born into Christ have put on Christ. And that's why we're a part of that family. We're a part of God's family. In that family, we have some experiences and some things that we have nowhere else first of all blessings more than you can count Paul said in Ephesians 1 verse 3 says we're blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ because we're in Christ we have access to those spiritual blessings those are designed for God's people to encourage us to help us grow and to help us get along with each other. We have the blessing of friendship, and we need to have the blessing of love. Jesus, when he talked about his, talked to his disciples about their acceptance in the world where Christians were eventually rejected, he said, by this, one characteristic is how people are going to know you're my, you're my disciples, you're my family. What is it if you have love one for another? But Jesus even went further in this. He says, love your enemies. Love those that persecute you. Well, it's easy to love each other. But that scallywag neighbor that lives down the street or that scoundrel that lives across the street, it's hard to love him. Jesus knows that. But he says, work at it. He didn't say it'd be easy. 
But he says, we are blessed beyond measure. Share that with those around us. Let them know what's inside us. Not because of any power we have, but because the power of the gospel that put Christ in our lives and gave us the opportunity to share that. In the family of God, we experience relationships that we don't experience anywhere else. There's nothing more important to me than the joy that I see in people's faces when they experience something good. That's why I like coming to church on Sunday morning. Not that coming through that door is going to make any difference. But because those are the people of God. Those are the people that can encourage me. I come here to get my battery charged. To be uplifted. If you're ever sick, which sometimes we are and we miss a Sunday, it feels like that's a whole month long, doesn't it? We've left something out. Our batteries are getting low. We need to be recharged. I have a little book. The girl I used to work with gave me. It says, Moments for Grandfathers. And it has two stories in it that I want to share with you tonight. Shortly after World War II came to a close, Europe began to pick up the pieces. Much of the continent had been ravaged by war and was in ruins. The saddest sight of all, however, was that of little orphan children starving and roaming the streets of those war-torn cities. Early one chilly morning, an American soldier was making his way back to the barracks in London. As he turned the corner with his jeep, he spotted a little boy dressed in tattered clothes, standing with his nose pressed against the window of a bakery inside. Inside, the baker was kneading dough for a fresh batch of doughnuts. The hungry boy stared in silence, watching every move of the baker. Through the steamed-up window, the orphan could see the mouth-watering morsels as they were being dipped out of a huge skillet in which they were being made. They were piping hot. The boy watched as the doughnuts were covered with powdered sugar and others was glazed with frosting. Salivating with hunger, the child let out a slight moan as he watched the baker carefully place them into the glass enclosed counter for sale. The soldier's heart went out to the little one who stood beside him. Son, would you like some of those? The soldier broke the silence. Startled, the boy looked up at the soldier with enthusiasm and said, Oh, yes, I would. The American GI stepped inside and bought a dozen of those delicious donuts. Then taking the sack from the baker, walked outside to where the lad was standing in the cold, foggy London morning, and he smiled, held out the bag, and simply said, Here you are. As the soldier turned to walk back to his jeep, he felt an insistent tug on his coat. He stopped and turned around and looked at the little boy. The child said quietly, Mister, are you God? Little things make a difference in relationships. 
We never more we are never more like God than when we give. When we are touched with compassion, when we act on that compassion. The Bible in its most famous verse says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And each one of these little stories has a quote with it. And the quote for that day was this, You can't help another person uphill without getting closer to the top yourself. In other words, when you help others, you help yourself as well. These stories, and of course, I, I do a lot of storytelling. I guess Jesus gives me license to do that because he told a lot of stories. It illustrates when you can take a story and apply it to everyday life. But the compassion that Jesus had with the people that he healed, with those that he helped or raised from the dead, and with each one of us, when he gave his own life for us, cannot be measured. The third thing we have in this family of God is a father who loves you and will never fail you. That's hard to beat. I hope that many of you had the blessing of being raised by godly fathers because it was a blessing. I've counted my blessings and I've thanked God so many times for the parents I had. I never, ever once heard them argue. I'm sure they argued, but never in front of us. We never heard it. They didn't allow it. Every morning when my dad got ready to go to work, he kissed my mother goodbye as he left. When he came back that night, he kissed her goodbye. He kissed her hello again. That's the kind of family I was brought up with. That's why I have such a good image of what God's family is like, how we ought to feel around each other. Some people... Not me, but some people are not huggers. That's fine. But I'm a hugger. I like to hug people. I like to let them know I feel close to you because you're part of my family. Every one of you are a part of my family. You're special to me. When I find out that something bad has happened to someone, I'm hurt because I try to see how they must feel. What can I do? Sometimes it's nothing. But the important thing is we have to understand what God will do for us in this family. The other story I want to share with you is about a great man that I'm sure all of you probably heard of, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was born in a log cabin in Kentucky on February 12, 1809 obtained his elementary education by the light of the fireplace. Later, he worked at the hardest type of labor as a farmhand and a rail splitter. In 1834, he was elected to the Illinois legislature. He became an able lawyer and in 1846 was elected to Congress. Although efforts to become a United States senator ended in defeat, he was elected president in 1860 and re-elected in 1864. 
On April 14, 1865, Lincoln was shot by an assassin and died the next day. Many people consider Abraham Lincoln the greatest man of the 19th century. He rose from lowly beginnings to the highest office and led our republic through a crisis that might have destroyed it and left a mighty heritage of kindness, idealism, and political wisdom. Here are a few quotes that was attributed to Abraham Lincoln. I remember a good story when I hear it, but I never invented anything original. I am only a retail dealer. Let the people know the truth, and the country is safe. I don't think much of a man who is not wiser today than he was yesterday. One thing is true about Lincoln or significant. To this day, there's still an intense curiosity about how he lived his life. How did he become like that? How he handled his disappointments and how he overcame difficulties. We look for the secret of Lincoln's life and the impact it has had on forming our nation's history. For that answer, we turn to his creed and discover it to have included these statements. I believe in God, the almighty ruler of nations, our great and good and merciful maker, our Father in heaven, who notes the fall of a sparrow and numbers the hairs of our head. I believe in his eternal truth and justice. And that's the way Abraham Lincoln lived. Another quote of Abraham Lincoln as we close this little story. I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. I hope we've never been to that point. But if you ever get to that point, now you know where to go. These type of people formed our country. But the things we have in the family of God doesn't compare to anything that our physical family can have. There are a lot of people who are not part of the family of God. We talked this morning in class in 1 Timothy where Paul talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander who blasphemed against God and he had them withdrawn fellowship from the church because of it. He said he cast them or turned them over to Satan. There are two realms in this world, as we mentioned this morning. One of them is God's domain and the other is Satan's domain. You and I are in one of them. Let's make sure we're in the right one. We want to be in God's domain. We want to do things God's way. We want to be a part of God's family. Some people may not be members of God's family. Every time we get together, we have closing song, invitation song, whatever you want to call it. There's never a time where you can't begin that journey. There's never a time where you can't do like we all did when we became Christians, wipe the slate clean. Start over. 
I told this story before. I'm tell it again because it, it just fits so well about the man who always read the newspaper like I do. First thing every morning goes to the obituary column, and there's his obituary there. I mean, every detail correct. He was upset. He went down to the newspaper office and talked to the young editor and said, Man, I, I demand a retraction. He says, This can't be true. This is my obituary. Here I am. You can see I'm alive. Of course, this young editor, he wasn't sure quite what to do. He says, Well, I, I don't know that I can print a retraction, but he said, I can put you in the birth announcements in the morning and give you a fresh start. God can do that for you. Wipe the slate clean. He said, I'll cleanse their sins and remember them no more. That's a good thing about God. He can forget things that evidently we can't forget too easy. Stanley's going to lead us in this song, and then uh, after that, Lee Beeman will lead us in our closing prayer. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>